All meet together everywhere, and in your meetings wait upon the Lord. Section 5a, The Call to Ministry. Isaiah 6 describes the prophet's own call to bring the word of God to his people. It is a description many friends ministers over the years have used to show what a call to the ministry is like. The minister's confrontation by the Lord, the humbling recognition of how far from adequate and holy one is, the divine act of purification, and the acceptance of the call to carry the message to God's people, whatever the nature and weight of the message itself. Who ministers? The answer to this question in a Christ-led friends meeting is our Lord Jesus Christ. It is he who selects who will minister, and the person selected may be a man, woman, or child. It is he who gives the message that needs to be delivered to the assembled worshipers. To be a minister of our Lord is to render free gospel ministry, rather than serve in a hired paid position. Thus, In a friend's meeting for worship, it is wrong to see the one who brings a message from the Lord as the leader of the meeting in its worship or the center of worship. Neither the person nor the message is the center. Christ Jesus is. Nor does a friend's minister serve in a clerical position or care for the church buildings and grounds. Friends appoint a person called the clerk to assemble the business agenda for monthly business meeting, and that person, too, is normally not paid for the service rendered. How are ministers made? Our Lord revealed to George Fox and other early friends that it is not knowledge or education that fits a person for ministry. Fox relates, quote, As I was walking in a field one first day morning, the Lord opened unto me that being bred at Oxford or Cambridge, was not enough to fit and qualify men to be ministers of Christ. And I thought this was strange, because it was the common belief of people. Ministers are made by God, not man. Self-styled prophets need not apply. The most members of a meeting can do is recognize a special gift for ministry our Lord has given to particular individuals who are scrupulously obedient to the Lord's healing and serve Him and them humbly, faithfully, and in holiness. As our Lord forms His ministers to function well in His service, He may challenge them in numerous ways, something George Fox's own experience well illustrates. George Fox wrote the following in his journal. I went back into Nottinghamshire, and there the Lord showed me that the natures of those things which were hurtful outwardly were within, in the hearts and minds of wicked men. The natures of dogs, swine, vipers, of Sodom and Egypt, Pharaoh, Canaan, Ishmael, Esau. The natures of these I saw within, though people had been looking without. I cried to the Lord, saying, Why should I be thus, seeing I was never addicted to commit those evils? And the Lord answered, That it was needful I should have a sense of all conditions. How else should I speak to all conditions? And in this I saw the infinite love of God.
Among the conditions George Fox experienced is one common to us all, the temptation to doubt. George Fox wrote, One morning, as I was sitting by the fire, a great cloud came over me, and temptation beset me, but I sat still, and it was said, All things come by nature, and the elements and stars came over me, so that I was in a manner quite clouded with it. But insomuch I sat, still and silent, the people of the house perceived nothing. And as I sat still under it and let it alone, a living hope arose in me, and a true voice which said, There is a living God who made all things. And immediately the cloud and temptation vanished away, and life rose over it all and my heart was glad, and I praised the living God. After some time, I met with some people who had a notion that there was no God, but that all things came by nature, and I had a great dispute with them, and overturned them, and made some of them confess that there was a living God. Then I saw that it was good that I had gone through that exercise, and we had great meetings in those parts, for the power of the Lord broke through in that side of the country. Section 5b, Women Ministers Quakers, from their beginning, recognize God's public call of women to a ministry equal to that of men as an essential part of the New Covenant. This acceptance of women as spiritual equals had nothing to do with a social or political agenda to liberate women, nor was it because of cultural progress or change. In fact, the social and political agendas of the time and the culture were opposed to women's ministry. Early friends, however, emphasized the inclusiveness of the new covenant, explicit for gender in the prophecy of Joel 2, 28-32, and repeated in Acts 2, 17-18, in which God declares, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy your young men will see visions, your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. In keeping with that prophecy, as our Lord's Spirit poured out upon women of the first Quaker generation, they were in the forefront of work declaring the gospel and suffering for it. Women were often the first Quaker ministers to appear in new fields including in the West Indies, Barbados, and the early American colonies. Women were also among the first Quaker martyrs. Margaret Fell, an influential leader of the first Quaker generation, wrote a tightly ordered argument for women's ministry in her pamphlet, Women's Speaking Justified, reviewing in detail the doctrinal and scriptural basis for women's spiritual equality in the Christ. As Terry Wallace notes in his introduction to the work of Margaret Fell, quote, Fell reviews the special favor God has shown the female sex through redemptive history, that God calls his church by the name of women, both in the Old and New Testaments, and that by women his son entered the world. Further, Fell notes the special regard of Christ for women, including the women of Samaria, Mary and Martha, Mary Magdalene, and Mary the mother of James. 
Not only are women received openly and treated as spiritual equals with men, but they also play primary roles in Jesus' resurrection and the proclamation of the gospel. They are the first at the tomb. They are sent to the disciples to tell the good news. Mary Magdalene herself is the first to witness Christ risen. Fell soundly puts away the objections of those who would silence women as the weaker sex, not by arguing women's strength, but by slaying the weaker sex argument with a Christian one. The weakness of God is stronger than men. Unquote. Fell did not argue on the basis of culture against Paul's declaration in 1 Corinthians and 1 Timothy that women must keep silent in the churches. Instead, Fell disposed of it in two other ways. First, she reviewed the verses in the fuller Pauline context, citing many of Paul's other references to women working and ministering in the church. In that review, Fell effectively demonstrated that Paul had no problem with holy women speaking, women who labored with him in the gospel. Second, Fell emphasized that the Pauline strictures are not against all women, but only against those yet in the fall, unresponsive to God's Spirit. Women without Christ's Spirit remain under the law, and the law indeed bans them from speaking. However, women of the New Covenant were another matter. To stop their mouths was to stop Christ himself from speaking. Speaking the words of God in power of God is essential to worshiping and governing the church in spirit and truth. Both men and women are expected by friends to be used by God in that work. The New Covenant understanding of women's spiritual equality, grasped by Quakers from the beginning, remains deeply relevant today as the majority of Christendom has yet come to terms with women's position in Christ's ministry and kingdom. All meet together everywhere And in your meetings wait upon the Lord And take heed of forming words But mind the power And know that which is eternal Which will keep you all in unity Walking in the Spirit And will let you see the Lord Near you and among you This podcast has presented a portion of the book Traditional Quaker Christianity. The book was assembled and edited by Terry Wallace, Jack and Susan Smith, and Arthur Burke. It was read by Chip Thomas, and the audio edited by the same. The music was provided by Paulette Meyer. Paulette's music is available at paulettemeyer.com. <laughs>